And if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 together today. Luke 4, uh, beginning at verse 14. And this is what it says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray together as John comes to bring the word this morning. Father God, we do thank you for your words. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that it teaches us, for the way it encourages us, for the way that it rebukes us and corrects us and inspires us. And Holy Spirit, my prayer this morning is that through John, we will hear your voice. Lord, our prayer is the same as Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Luke, for your prayer and uh, again for this opportunity uh, to preach and to bring uh, God's word to us today. Um, you may be aware, you may not be aware, because we're only in the second week of it, but we've got a kind of a series going through um, in the month of August, and it's on uh, the theme of Sabbath rest, out of balance Sabbath rest. And if you were here last Sunday in the context um, of a family service, Zoe took us back uh, to the creation story and showed us how in word and in example God gave us the seventh day or the Sabbath day as a day of rest, how that's a kind of a creation ordinance and goes back so far. She reminded us that Humankind forfeited uh, that rest when they welcomed sin into the world. But God uh, reinstated uh, the Sabbath through Moses in the Ten Commandments. And in fact, uh, it's the Fourth Commandment uh, that brings back to us a Sabbath, a holy day, a day that is set apart for rest, that is a gift from God to us. And God knows... Uh, that we need that rhythm um, of regular physical and spiritual refreshment in our lives in order to be the people that God wants us to be. So we have in mind that theme of Sabbath rest. And in a moment, we're going to be going back and looking uh, at an Old Testament passage. But first of all, let's just remind ourselves uh, of the significance of that passage from Luke's Gospel uh, that uh, Luke has brought to us this morning. Jesus has returned to Nazareth. This was 
the town where he was brought up and that becomes plainer as the, the passage moves on and people's recognition um, of his past. And this is the kind of the tipping point, the brink, where Jesus is just about to begin his public ministry. And as, and it says there, as was his custom. It was, he did it, even though he was God incarnate, even though he was the king of glory. On the Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue. As was his habit, he went to the synagogue and uh, what it was handed to him uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus opened it and found the place that is in our Bibles. It probably wasn't in that scroll, but in our Bibles, it's chapter 61. And uh, he read verses 1 and 2. And really, Jesus was using those words to declare the start of his ministry. Those words, which I'll read again to you in a moment, are a kind of a manifesto, a declaration for why Jesus came to this earth. A brief description of what was to follow in his ministry. And then in verse 19 of Luke chapter 4, he says that he has come, listen to these words, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came then and comes now to men and women to proclaim the year of the, of the Lord's favour. In these words, he is pronouncing an unfolding reality, but something that has its roots in the Levitical year of Jubilee, which we will look at in a moment. And that concept of Sabbath rest when we look at the scripture, it's a bit like, you know, that picture of dropping a pebble into a stream. And from where the pebble hits the water, there are uh, ripples, circles uh, going out from it. And we'll see that here before we look at the Sabbath rest. Zoe, as I said, reminded us last week of the one day in seven Sabbath given to God, given to humankind in creation restored in the Ten Commandments. And then in Leviticus 25, and I know it's August, and I know it's a fairly warm day, I do not want, when I mention some Old Testament book, do not glaze over, please, people. Okay, it's important, it's relevant. When we look in Leviticus 25, we're introduced to two wider ripples of Sabbath rest. In Leviticus 25, God speaks to uh, Moses, still on Mount Sinai. And he is already, God has already given humankind one day in seven for rest, given in creation, reinstated in the fourth commandment. And now he talks about one in every seven years of Sabbath in Leviticus 25. And God gives that year to men and women, to his people, primarily to rest the land. And it says there in Leviticus 25 and verse 4, but in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow the fields or prune your fields. Practically, of course, 
that was also a rest for the people. In that kind of community, lots of people work the land. And if God said give the land a rest, he was giving the people a rest. So that was one year in seven. I just say, I said this to Luke earlier, of course this is where the idea of sabbatical comes from, which Luke has just had, hasn't he? And I said to him, he's been cheated. He only got three months. It should really be a year. You know, if we claim to be biblical Christians, we should be giving this man a year's sabbatical. <laughs> he's going. He's taking the next nine months now. Okay. Um, in that one year in seven, the fields were not to be formally harvested, but food could be taken from the fields as and when it was produced and as and when people needed it. And it says in the text in verse 6, Leviticus 25, verse 6, that the food is for you, for yourself, for your manservants, for your maidservants, and for the hard worker and the temporary resident, all who live amongst you. There was food for everybody, even though the land was being rested. So we've had one day in seven. We've got one year in seven years, a year of rest for the land. And then in verse 8, still with me, still with me. And then in verse 8 of Leviticus 25, we're introduced to the third ripple, the third widening circle of Sabbath rest. Not the seventh day or the seventh year even, but what follows seven times seven years. Now seven sevens are... 49, they were when I was at school, maybe they've changed it, but it's 49. And this year was the year that followed the seven times seven year. So this is the 50th year, and this is what is called in Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. And the Hebrew word, literally, the Hebrew word which is Jobel, is literally translated restoring or bringing back. And I want you to hold on to that because that's really important in understanding the rest of this message. Jubilee equals Jobel, that's the Hebrew, and it's translated as restoring or bringing back. And what was to happen in this 50th year? Well, the land was to be returned to its original owners. No one could purchase a piece of land and own it for more than 50 years. It was a kind of a leasing system, I guess, that if you purchased a bit of land in year five, you paid a lot more for it than if you purchased it in year 46, because in year 50, you had to hand it back to the original owner. It was also a time of freedom for slaves who through poverty had, sorry, for Jews who through poverty had fallen into slavery, and they were to be set free. Everyone was to return to his family-owned property and to his own clan. And there again was like in the, in the former ripples of Jubilee, there was to be no working of the land, but people were just to collect produce from the land as and when they needed it. God intended that for them. And God, through this year of Jubilee, intended through return and restoration 
for his people to let go of material and monetary prosperity that was so much a part of their lives. And God wanted them to return to their roots, to let go of all their work and their responsibility, and to return to him. He was calling through the year of Jubilee, God was calling his people to a physical and a spiritual rest. One commentator has described it as a practical confession that the land rightly belongs to God. Jesus' words from Isaiah, spoken in the synagogue in Nazareth, introduced the people there and us to a new season of jubilee, a time of restoration, a time of return. But this jubilee has Jesus Christ and what he has done at its center. And that was a long introduction, and there are three points, but I promise you they're quite short, all right? What was Jesus saying in the synagogue in Nazareth? I think he was saying, recognize where you are. Secondly, he was saying, return to what God intended for you. And thirdly, he was saying, rest in me. First of all then, he's saying, recognize where you are. Let me read verses 18 and 19 from Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, he, Father God he's talking about, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This jubilee now that Jesus brings is about people who need him in their lives, who need the touch of his power. And going back to that Isaiah 61 passage, Jesus identifies four spiritual conditions, four places that people in that congregation, the people in this congregation might find themselves in. And he talks about poverty. He talks about imprisonment. He talks about blindness. And he talks about oppression. And they may be understood physically and practically, and Angela brought that thought to us this morning already. They may be understand in practical terms, but these four things definitely should be understood in spiritual terms. Jesus is saying he has come to help, to deliver, to set free. Let's look very quickly at these four things. First of all, he has come to those who are poor, or let us say poor in spirit. And for some of you, that will ring a bell because it's the same word, the same idea used in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes where it says, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Poor in spirit is a person who is aware of their spiritual poverty. A person who knows that in spiritual terms, in relationship, in knowing God, in knowing his peace, in knowing his purpose, they're a long way off. And they need help and grace and more of God. 
And then Jesus highlights the imprisoned people. And this has a background in the book of Isaiah because uh, that part of Isaiah has, has a context in the, the exile of, of Judah in, in Babylon. People, God's people, taken, imprisoned, restricted, not allowed home, not allowed access uh, to the temple. People feeling that God is a long way from them. And Jesus' freedom is from men and women who are not held in the walls of a prison, not held in physical restraints, but are held and controlled by sin and Satan. And, you know, we may feel, oh, you know, sin, Satan, they're old-fashioned, they're archaic words, you know, they're things that are not relevant today. I mean, stop, pause, look at the TV news, read your newspaper, look at this broken world around us. Sin and Satan are on the rampage. Humankind, men and women, need to be set free from that prison, from that control, from that influence in their lives and their circumstances. Jesus says he's come to the blind. And you know that in the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus healed many people from, spirit, from physical blindness. His purpose was that those who looked on, those who observed those miracles because they saw them in the flesh or we read about them in the scripture. His purpose was that those who look on on those miracles and see men and women delivered from, from physical blindness may realize that Jesus is the one who has come to deliver men and women from spiritual blindness. What do I mean by that? Spiritual blindness. I think it's the man or woman who when spoken to about Jesus, who when confronted with the incredible, amazing love of God for them, would say, I just don't see it. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. Jesus has the power to take that blindness away and give sight and give understanding. And the fourth thing that Jesus chooses to talk about here, what he's come to do, is to set the oppressed free. Again, reference to Satan, God and our enemy comes to men and women, I believe, in possession, obsession, or oppression. The latter is described by Peter in these words. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It is that feeling of heaviness, of despair, of carrying a constant burden that Jesus is referring to and that Jesus sets men and women free from. And so Jesus highlights these four things. He brings it to the congregation in Nazareth and he kind of says, this is what my ministry is about. And he speaks to them and God speaks to us this morning and says, Jesus has come to set us free, to liberate to let us out of the jail of imprisonment by sin and Satan. 
when these people and when we hear Jesus proclaim the year of God's favour, which Jesus heralded then and continues to herald today, the saddest words from any human being is in the light of all that Jesus said, the proclamation of his jubilee, the life that he's come to bring, the release that he's come to offer. The saddest words from any human being is, I'm okay. Or, Jesus, leave me alone. Or, Jesus, everything is good with me. I was noting, I've noticed sometimes when you offer people something nowadays, if they don't want it, they say, I'm good, thanks. Have you heard that expression? <laughs> you know, And I kind of think people are confronted with Jesus and with his love and that amazing life-changing jubilee that he offers. And people will just say to all that, I'm good, thanks. No, they're not. No, we're not. Rather, we should echo the words, you know I love old hymns, don't you? Of this old hymn. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Saviour, I come to thee. Jesus says, recognise where you are. And Maybe for some of us in those four points, in those four places, you'd say, I'm there. And hopefully you'll say, and I need Jesus. Second thing here, return to what God intended for you. The Levitical year of Jubilee was about coming back to God's land and to God's people. But I want to suggest to you that there is a deeper, a more profound intention in the regulations of the year of Jubilee. I think that if we look closely at these regulations, we will see God's heart. And God's heart was that Israel should return spiritually to the Garden of Eden. Just stick with me and see if you can hear what God has said to me. Hopefully, he'll say it to you. In Eden, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were, which God created, a perfect place, in Eden, there was no hard work or hard labor. They looked after the garden, but... In the words of Genesis 3.19, there was no sweat on your brow as you worked in the Garden of Eden. In Eden, there was no hard work or hard labor. In the Jubilee year, Leviticus 25, there was no working the land during the Jubilee year. First thing. Second thing, in Eden, there was no ownership of land it all belonged to God. In Jubilee, all the land was returned to its original owner. Thirdly, in Eden, there were no slaves. There was a harmony between men and women, and God was sovereign. At Jubilee, all slaves were freed, and people returned to their home. In the context of Eden, all these good things ceased 
when sin entered the world and humankind became estranged from God. And you know, there's a very graphic picture, and I want to remind you of it and share, you with, share it with you. After Adam and Eve had enjoyed perfect harmony, oneness, closeness, intimacy with God, on the evening of the day of their rebellion, you know, that was the day where Eve gave in to Satan's temptation, took the forbidden apple, gave some to her husband. He joined in it equally as well. On the eve of that day, and the practice was that every evening, in the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve would meet with God in the garden. Lovely, beautiful contact, communion, oneness between Adam and Eve and their God. But on this day, the day of rebellion, God went into the garden and Adam and Eve were nowhere to be seen. And God spoke these fateful words. Where are you? And the answer was they were hiding because they were fearful of their nakedness. But God had to cry out. They weren't just there in communion. He had to say, where are you? For the first time, there was a brokenness, a distance, a gap in relationship between the created and the creator. And I think about those profound words. If you look it up, it's in, it's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. God says, where are you? And you know, down the kind of corridors of time, I hear God asking that same question. Asking that same question even here today, of people seated in this congregation. Where are you? You look all right to the people around you. You're in church. You got up and sang those great songs of praise. You shared in the prayers. But really, the question isn't, Adam and Eve, where are you geographically? Are you hiding behind the third tree on the right? The question was, God was asking, where are you in relation to me? And today, the living God still asks that question, where are you in relation to me? And Adam and Eve had to admit because of their sin and their waywardness that they were not in that intimacy with God that they had enjoyed before. Further evidence that in Jubilee, God has in mind return to Eden is in a fact about the Sabbath Jubilee in Leviticus 25. I have not shared it with you, but I'm going to share it with you now. That that Jubilee began with the Festival of Atonement. You know that Festival of Atonement? The Jews would have one it's a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And a goat would be released into the wilderness, symbolically carrying with it and away the sins of the people. That was the festival of the atonement. And it happened, and, in, and at the end of that day, the year of Jubilee began. 
the year of Jubilee happened in the context of the atonement. Atonement refers to reconciliation. It's legitimate from its kind of Latin roots to talk about is it as at one moment. Reconciliation of two parties. In this context, the context that we're thinking about, it's about the restoration of the broken relationship between God and men and women. God wants to restore that relationship that he once had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He wants to restore it with his people of Israel. And believe it or not, he wants to restore it with us. There's no physically going back to the garden, but God wants us to be in that relationship of intimacy and closeness and oneness and peace and rest with him. And in the Old Testament, every year they would have had that uh, festival of atonement. They would have gone through those, uh, those events, the sacrifice and the goat being released into the wilderness but there was an inadequacy uh, in that sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate, the no more required atonement. His death on the cross is the opportunity for us to be at one with God. The sacrifice for sin with Jesus was not an animal, but Jesus himself referred by John as the spotless lamb of God. And in the place of the goat, Jesus in his own body carried the sin of all of humankind. In his death, he paid the price for our sin. Jesus brings men and women, women into an ultimate place of rest. That is a relationship with the living God. Paul reminds us that when Jesus died on the cross, that was the gospel, that was the good news for all of humankind. And Paul says these words, in the power of, that sacrifice is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So, the jubilee of Leviticus 25 was God's attempt, in a way, to kind of bring his people back to Eden, back to that place of close relationship with God. Ultimately, for us, that is realised through the sacrifice that Jesus has made, through the way that he has opened up for ordinary people like us to know the living God. Thirdly, rest in Jesus. As Jesus read from Isaiah 61, he says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. That was the same spirit that inhabits Father God, fills Jesus. The same longing that fills the heart of Father God, fills the heart of Jesus. That men and women might come back to God and no oneness and peace with him. Jesus has been set apart or anointed for the task. In effect, the passage is declaring, Jesus 
is the Messiah. Jesus was the one then and now who has come to save or to deliver all of humankind. And those four things that uh, he spoke about from Isaiah, uh, declare, shout out, this is the work of the Messiah. And it says in our reading in Luke chapter 4, Jesus finished reading the Isaiah scripture and sits down in the synagogue in Nazareth. Everyone is looking at him. There is silence in the place. And then Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the day of God's favour, the season of jubilee has come. It's here today. And I want you brothers and sisters to hear Jesus say those words in the synagogue in Nazareth. But by the Holy Spirit, he says them here today. And it's as true today as it was then. This is the season of God's favour. This is the year of Jubilee. This is the time when God desires, as he's always desired, that men and women might return to Eden spiritually, might know him personally, might walk with him in his grace and know his peace. Jesus is saying, when he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, I, Jesus, will bring this jubilee, this peace to you. Jesus is saying, I am at its centre, look no further. Jesus declares and delivers the jubilee. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? What will you say when you hear God say, where are you? We need to be, brothers and sisters, spiritually in Eden. Closeness to God. Intimacy. Oneness. Healing. Peace. Rest. Amen. Let us pray. Our loving Father God, we want to thank you for your word. And Lord, I want to pray for any unsaved person here today for whom they've heard for the first time about a God who wants to be their friend, Jesus who wants to be their saviour, about a God who wants to bring them into a place of freedom and peace, restoration and rest. And Lord, I want to pray today for the weary Christian who may be like the people of Israel was burdened down with the responsibility of land, with the mortgage, with making this decision, making that decision. And God seems a long way off. I pray for that weary Christian today, Lord, that they'll just say, I want to have a year of jubilee. In my mind, in my thinking, in my attitude, in my values, in what matters to me most of all, I want to let go of those things and I want spiritually to go back to Eden. I just want it to be me and God. I just want to find my peace and my rest and my wholeness in him. Holy Spirit of God, work in our midst, we pray. Lord, may every one of us hear the living God say to me, where are you? 
May we be able to say, Lord, I want to be with you in Eden. I want to be in that place of closeness and intimacy. Holy Spirit, come work in our midst. Touch the lives of men and women here today. Bring unsaved people to faith. Bring the weary Christian to a place of peace and rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.